Last week, we spent some time looking at the fact of our ministry as being witnesses. You know, that, that Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. And that that work of being a witness is a, is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. That, that he was proclaiming the kingdom. And, and that's, that's what we do. We, we continue to proclaim the kingdom of God in our lives. But we might wonder as we've looked at that, and as I looked at my notes from last week, I recognized we talked about being witnesses and how long we might have to be witnesses and how our lives can be witnesses, but maybe you walked out last week and you were wondering, well, what is my witness? What witness do I have? How do I, how do I share the things in my life that, that God has done? What am I supposed to do and where am I supposed to do it? I wanted to, to, we're going to look at several different passages, but predominantly and and strongly we're going to come out of John chapter 9. This is an interesting story in the Gospel of John about a man who was born blind, whom Jesus healed. And uh, so it picks up in in John chapter 1, and as we look at this, I want to encourage you maybe to to think of your own life through this story as an allegory, right? That that, uh, as Jesus heals the man, you know, we can think of that as how Jesus heals us when we believe in him. And and what does this man do afterwards? And how does he he act? We begin in verse 1, and we're not, I know it says 1 through 25. We're not looking at every verse, all right? That's just the, the scope that we are in. But in John chapter 1, as he passed by, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? It was a common thought um, uh, that, that if you had trouble in life, it was because you had sinned. We have the same thought in our lives today, don't we? That if, if you're going through struggles... Well, it must be because you've done something wrong and God is punishing you. You've sinned. And sometimes a a parent will have a child. They're born with a defect. Uh, They could be born blind. They could be born with a heart trouble. And I think almost every parent that's dealt with that has looked down at that child and thought, well, this child is innocent. What did I do that God is punishing us this way? And, and what Jesus tells them is, he answered in verse 3, he said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I think that's, a, that's the same thing we can say to ourselves and anybody who has a child who was born, how do you want to put it, less than perfect, with, with some struggles, They haven't sinned. The parents haven't sinned. But this child is here so that God might display his might in their life. Whatever struggles we go through and we find in life, they are there for the purpose of God displaying himself. And and we see it if we're open to it. And so... What Jesus does after this is he spits on the ground. He makes some clay with the spittle and the dirt. 
He rubs it on the man's eyes, and he tells the man to go and wash his eyes off in a pool called Siloam, which uh, is translated, John tells us, as scent. And so the man goes and he does it, and he washes his eyes off, the, the clay off his eyes, and he can see. And he comes back, and everybody's amazed, and they're thinking, this is the guy that was blind. He's been blind since birth, and he can see. And other people said, no, it's not him. It's just somebody that looks like him. And he's like, no, 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 it's me. That was me. I was the guy that was blind. I'm telling you, I can see now. And so they ask him, and we're going to pick up on it in verse 10. Uh, They were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. I said, this is how I did it. This is what happened. I went, I washed, I received sight. Now, they ask him, well, what what, what happened to the man? He says, I don't know. I don't know where he is. I've never, here's a fun thing, I've never seen him. (laughs) You know, Uh, I've heard his voice, but I've never seen him but he put clay on my eyes and he told me to wash and I went away and I washed. And now I can see. Now they, they, they brought the, the man to the Pharisees. And you got to understand, here's the problem for, for the people of Jesus' time. It was a Sabbath. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And what did Jesus do? He created clay. He spit and worked the spit and the dirt together until he had formed clay. The Pharisees considered that work. Just like when he and his disciples were walking through the grain field and they would pick heads of grain and they would rub it between their hands and eat the the grain raw. Well, they were milling and that's work and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And they had issues with Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath, because that was work, and you weren't supposed to do it. It's one of the reasons why Jesus would tell them, hey, look, the Sabbath was created for man. Man was not created for the Sabbath. But they have an issue, and so they're asking the man, what happened? How did it go down? And so in verse 15, then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. That's what happened. And so they start debating about Jesus. Well, he must be a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath. He must not be a man of God. And then others were saying, well, he's got to be a man of God because look at what he did. How can you do these things unless you're from God? And they bring the blind guy's parents in because they think maybe we're being bamboozled. And the the parents, they don't want to get involved. And they say, no, that's our son. But you know what? He's of age. You can just ask him directly. We'd rather stay out of it. And so they bring the man back in and they start questioning him even more severely. And they start telling him, they say to him uh, in verse 24, they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. We know he's a sinner. This is the, this is the you know, sentence first, verdict later type thing. You know, we know he's a sinner. Now we'll investigate why he's a sinner. But the man in verse 25, he then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
says, I'm not an intelligent person. I don't know all the ins and outs. Have you ever been in a situation like this where somebody is asking you about some kind of a, you know, an issue and you're like, I, I don't know. All I know is, is that I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross and I have experienced the Holy Spirit coming into my life because of that. I can't explain everything else to you. I, I can't argue with you. If you want to be argumentative, you can be argumentative. I mean, if you want to poke holes in Scripture, you can poke holes in Scripture all day long if that's your thing. All I know is this is what God has done in my life. They want to claim Jesus is a sinner. The man says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I can't argue with you on that one. I don't know about these things. I've never seen the man yet. All I know is, is that I was blind and now I see. All I know is, is that He has changed me physically. That, that I have had a real change in my life and you can't refute this change in my life. And that's all that matters to me. And they end up kicking this man out of the synagogue. And later on, Jesus comes up to him and starts talking to him and says, well, do you want to have eternal life? And the, do, you, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he's like, I don't even know who he is to believe in him. And Jesus says, I who am speaking to you am he. And the man says, I believe. You know, he, he's just waiting to find him. What I love about this is that throughout this story, the man's story doesn't change. He made clay, he put it on my eyes, he sent me to the pool, I went and washed, I can see. What happened? He made clay, he put it on my eyes, I went and washed in the pool, I can see. What happened? I've already told you. I skipped this part, but the guy's like, I've already told you what happened. You, you didn't believe me. And they say, well, he's a, he's a sinner. And the guy says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind. I can see. Consistently, he shares the same story. And the story is centered on what God had done in his life, that Jesus had healed him, that he had been a man born blind, that he had lived into middle age. And now he can finally see. And I think about, think about our lives and our faith in Jesus and, and how he has come into your life in one way or the other and helped you see. To see him, to, to know him, to see the truth of what we need from him. And, and regardless of what happens and regardless of who asks, well, we have that story, don't we? And that, that's what your witness is. Your witness is to tell what God has done in your life. That, that's all it has to be. Now, some people, they're, they're, they're into all sorts of arguments and, and philosophies and things like that. And one, well, more power to them if they're able. But all your witness is, and all you have to do really to, to, to share your witness honestly is, what has God done in your life? This man says, I was blind. He put clay on my eyes. I went and washed. I can see. What has God done in your life through Jesus Christ? You know? If you hang around on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or in Sunday school probably, sooner or later Ed's going to share with you what God has done in his life. I was too busy for God. I was working on my house. I had a heart attack. And when I woke up in the hospital, 
pastor was there praying for me. And it wasn't immediate, but over time, he started following God again. And Ed has shared that, not to, not to say he has shared it so much he needs to stop sharing it, no. He has shared it so much that that story will live until the day I die. Because I'll never forget his story. Because he has shared it with me. I may forget some names, I may forget the dates, I don't have all the details. But when I think about the things that God can do in a person's life, I can remember his story, and he's willing to share it with everybody. And he doesn't have to have all the fancy stuff. No, but he sure knows what God has done in his life. There's other stories I can share, too, that I've heard. And I hope you keep sharing it, Ed. Because it always, it always encourages us to be reminded and to hear. That is what God has done in his life. And this is what this man is sharing, is what God has done in his life, that he has made him be able to see. And that's, that's really the, the, the central issue for us as a witness. What have we experienced and known? I, I was watching a little bit of um, the, 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 the Chauvin trial that's going on, and, and uh, the, the judge kind of got upset with one of the witnesses because she kept trying to interject some ideas, and the judge actually had to release the witness, uh, the, uh, the jury so that he could talk straight to that witness in front of the counsel and, and told her, you need to just answer the question. Don't give any more information than that has been asked for. If the prosecution wants to, they will ask some redirect questions if they think something was left out. Answer the question. Don't add to it. Don't add your own thoughts even. Just answer the question. And that's oftentimes, that's all we have to do as witnesses. What do we need to do? Just answer the question. What has God done in your life? You don't need to, you don't need to extrapolate. You don't need to apply it for the other person. You can just say, this is what God has done for me. This is how I have seen him work. Not only is our witness what God has done, but I, you know, not to put everything on God, our witness is also what we have done. Your witness is your faithfulness. In response, part of your witness isn't just what God has done, it's what you've done. Was, was, was Jesus Christ's actions in your life something worth responding to? Notice this man, what did he do that was so critical that would not have, uh, he wouldn't have been healed had he not done it? He went. Jesus sent him to the pool, he went. He could have thought to himself, why do I need to go and find a pool? I'll just wipe it off my face right now. But he went. He obeyed. And in his obedience, he was healed. Not only that, but as he shares the story, even when he's brought in with the Pharisees there, it would have been very easy, I think, for a man who has just been through a miraculous thing, who doesn't even know the person that they are upset with, to change his story just a little bit? Just to you know, make it a little bit easier to accept? But he doesn't. He sticks with his story. He is faithful to the story that he has. He doesn't try to make it sound better. He doesn't try to make it sound worse. It's just what it is. And he sticks with it. He is faithful with that story. 
His faithfulness is in His life, how He lives. And I, I would say that our, our faithfulness as, as believers can be a big part of our witness and our testimony. I've got a, a book here that my, my uncle wrote. He got his doctorate in uh, theology or in ministry, and my grandmother said, well, what do you do now? And he said, well, now I've got to write a book. <laughs> he wrote a book. In it, he shares a story about one of his students uh, at DTS. He names him Jim. And, and Jim was a guy who trusted Christ when he was very young, like six years old. Not only that, but Jim married the girl of his dreams, and her testimony was the same as his almost to the year. In fact, Jim and his wife were both frustrated over their testimony. They wished they had a little bit more radical testimonies. The problem was is that Jim and his wife were both raised by Christian parents. They both came to faith as children. They grew up. They didn't get into drugs. They didn't get into to rock and roll and sex and all that stuff. They just grew up, got married, and he entered the ministry. He kind of felt bad that he didn't have a better testimony. He got involved in a prison ministry, and as my uncle shares, after a few visits to the prison, Jim wished that he had some experience that would grant me the right to share with these men of such desperate past. Instead, he would rely upon other stories and keep the conversation clear of himself. That was until one day when two inmates suddenly asked him, well, what about you? What do you mean, what about me, what about? And they said to him, what about you with this Jesus stuff? So he took a breath and he shared his story. He just shared his story about being a kid and his dad. Uh, he said, you know, from stories on the bed told by his father to where he was right then. He just told them his life story. Both of those inmates trusted Christ in their cells that night. The next time Jim saw them, he asked them what had happened. This is what they said. Listen to this. You came from a family that had everything. Your parents were married, you lived in a great house, and you had a dad that loved you enough to read you stories. You had everything. Yet you still felt like you needed Jesus, and that blew us away. Because we always figured that the only people that ever turned to Jesus were those that were just hoping for a way out or for a quick fix or something like that. And then you said that you had been walking with Jesus for all these years and you're still doing this deal. We knew that if you started like that and have been living with Him all this time and you are here today still walking with the Lord, then He must be real. See, Jim thought he had a boring testimony. He thought he didn't have a testimony and it turned out he had just the testimony that two guys needed to hear that day. Because as far as they were concerned, Jesus was just for the losers. People who were, weren't strong enough on their own. And the very story that Jim thought he needed was the very story that they were going to turn their ears away from. But Jim was a winner in their eyes. He had two parents that were married. We forget sometimes how important that is. Two parents married together. His dad loved him and read stories to him at night. And these two guys said, 
pretty much, I'm going to paraphrase, you, you had a winning lottery ticket and you still felt like you needed Jesus? And not only that, but even though your life is so great, you're still following Jesus? If a winner like you needs Jesus, how much more do we need him? Part of that testimony was Jim's faithfulness. The fact that he was still following the Lord after all those years. Our faithfulness, your faithfulness in following the Lord is part of your witness. Your faithfulness in, in, in sticking with him. It, it may not be glamorous and it might not be the type of thing that they want to make you know, lifetime movies about. But it's the kind of stuff that can speak to the truth of who God is when we share that witness. That's what this man does. He is faithful to the message. He was faithful to obey. What's our testimony? This is what, not just this is what God has done, but then how I've lived my life. How you've lived your life. Have you lived your life faithfully? Have you actually followed Him now that He has saved you? That's part of your testimony. If your story is, well, Jesus saved me and I came in faith and I was baptized when I was a kid, and then I've been going my own way, and I don't need to go to church because you know what? Nature is my church, and everywhere I go, I'm in church. Hey, nature is God's creation, and it's great. But that statement, we all know that statement's malarkey. Because the church isn't the place, it's the people. And it's the faithfulness of being with God's people that speaks to the truth of our lives. And I think if you meet somebody that says, well, I believe in Jesus, but then you don't see any faithfulness in their life, what does that do? That discredits their statement of faith. But if they say they believe and then they follow and walk in those ways, then we start saying, okay, I see it. And I think sometimes we look at our, our, our testimony that we have, and, and I think Jim in that story, you know, he was thinking about, like, I wish I had that, that really cool testimony about a hard life, and then I came to Jesus when I was in my 20s. You know, of course, he had the testimony everybody wants for their own kids, right? I, mean, I don't know of anybody that says, oh, yeah, I really want my kid to get into some trouble. And then I want them, I want them to really mess up their life and find Jesus and turn it all around. I don't know about you, but my prayer is for my kids to have the most boring testimony possible. If they can do that, I'll be happy. I want them to have Jim's testimony. Nothing really great to tell you. My dad and my mom were married. They loved each other. They took us to church. I believed in Jesus Christ. I've been following them ever since. No pressure. But that's, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? We often think of our testimony as being how we came to faith. And I think there is something to that. Paul shares in Philippians chapter 3, he shares with them about who he was prior to Christ and who he is now. And he tells them, you know, he's got some great credentials for the world. He tells them in, in chapter 3, verse 5, he says that he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, pedigree. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, Paul often talks about his time as a persecutor of the church to say, ooh, I was bad. Man, I was bad. He, he puts it in kind of better language here, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He didn't, 
He didn't just ignore the church. He was such an Israelite that he, he persecuted the church. And then as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But then what does he say? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, all these things that I thought were so great, all these things that meant everything to me, it's just loss. It's, it's not even worth holding on to or having for the sake of Christ. I'd much rather have Christ. I'd much rather, and he continues to talk about to know the suffering of Christ in his own life. He said, I'd much rather have that. I'd much rather be part of the church that's being persecuted than to be the one who was persecuting the church. So much better. And, and there is an aspect of this, and I would say even Jim, you know, part of his testimony was the, the change that God had made in his life. He was a kid, and at six years old, he recognized he was a sinner and he needed to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. He didn't have to have the big, bad... Uh, R-rated story, even in the PG story or even in the G story, there's enough to say, I need Jesus. I had a friend in seminary. She was four years old. She had a dream. She, her parents were missionaries to Brazil. She had a dream about riding her bicycle down this hill into this candy store. And every time she'd go in there, she'd grab one of her friends and slide out the door and she kept doing it in her dream. And she recognized in her dream, she was dreaming about rescuing these kids from hell because they were in the candy store. She had to get them out of there. Four years old. When she woke up, she recognized that she needed to be rescued too. At four years old, she went to her parents and she professed her faith in Christ and she said, I want to be baptized because I'm going to follow Jesus. It's hard to convince a pastor to baptize a four-year-old in the Baptist church. Let's just, let's just put it. They had to do some work. She had to explain herself and her thinking and her reasoning. And at four years of age, she was able to convince that pastor in their church. She really has believed in Jesus Christ. She is redeemed. And he baptized her. Her testimony is, is that when she was four years old, she professed her faith in Jesus Christ, been following him ever since. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. You can recognize that there was a time when you were doing things your own way and then you started doing things God's way. And we can testify to the change in our lives that God has brought. A child can testify to the change that God has made in their lives. An adult can testify to that change. Paul is testifying to that change. The man who was born blind, that's what he does. He testifies to that change. I was blind, now I see. Can't tell you a whole lot more than that. All I know is I was blind, now I see. And I'm good. What's, what is the change that God has done in your life? That's your testimony right there. That's, that's the witness that we have to share. But you know, our testimony is also, it's not just, it's not just what God did when we were saved. I think our testimony is also it can be about things that God has done while we are Christians. There was once a time when it was believed that baptism you know, washed away your sins. 
And if you got baptized, any sin you had committed before you were baptized was clean, but anything you did after you baptized, you still had to pay for. And so you had people in the church that would wait until they were on their deathbed to get baptized because they wanted as many sins as possible taken care of. I'm not defending this viewpoint. I'm just, it's a historical fact that people at one time had this viewpoint. Some people still do. But we can have that attitude of, you know, well, yeah, things that I did before I was a Christian are forgiven, but now that I'm a Christian, I really shouldn't be doing certain things. I shouldn't have certain troubles, and if I do, maybe it ruins my testimony, it ruins my witness. What do I have left if I've, if I've sinned? One of the pastor, well, he was a he was a he was a pastor, and he ended up being in charge of I want to say it was InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. When I was in seminary, he he was coming around regularly, and he became our chancellor until he retired just a few years ago. His name was Gordon McDonald. Uh, he had an affair when he was the head of the uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He cheated on his wife. He was a pastor. It destroyed his ministry. He had to you know, resign in failure and shame. He had people around him, and, and they, they arranged for him and his wife to be able to stay in a home, and they would pay the rent, and they would pay for his living expenses. He didn't have to work for a number of months because the, these people around him said, we want you all to save this marriage. We want you to work on this and, and see what you can do. Years later, Gordon McDonald was able to come to seminary and to talk to us and to preach to us about God and about grace and about faith. He wrote a number of books. Now, he was never a pastor again, but then he went and did other pastoral things. He never had to go out and get a tent-making type job, you might say. It would be very easy to say that because he had had that affair, that everything he did about God was ruined. But if anything, going through that and having his marriage be restored and then having his ministry be restored, and to be able to see him and his wife on a platform talking and sharing together about the good things that God had done in their lives. I would argue that maybe he had a greater ability to testify to God's grace in his life than he had prior to all that. Not saying, as Paul said in Romans, that we're not saying let's sin so that grace may abound. That's not what we're saying. Don't let's all just go off and start sinning so that we can have more grace. But just because he had sinned after being a Christian didn't mean everything else was gone. He acknowledged that sin. He recognized it. He wore it. You could talk to him about it and he would answer you honestly and it wasn't with joy. There was always sadness. But there was also, tinged with that sadness was the power of God and the grace of God and the love of God and he was always willing and ready to share that with anybody. I think of that when I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul shares a story about his own life that he, he was taken up into heaven. And he witnessed things and he heard things. He said, I can't even tell you. They are too wonderful to say. It's one of the reasons why whenever there's a new book out about somebody who went to heaven and they want to tell all and make a, 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 a good deal of money on the New York you know, 
book list type thing, I always kind of wonder, because here you had Paul, he went to heaven and he said, I can't even tell you about it. It was too awesome. Can't speak about it. But he does tell us who he will speak about and what he will speak about. And he tells us, he tells us in, Roman, or in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, because of what he saw, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And people will wonder, well, what is this thorn in the flesh? What is this messenger of Satan? You know, is it... You know, some people think that he had a, a physical uh, problem, like he had bad eyesight. Maybe his bad eyesight was because uh, God was humbling him. Maybe it was some other physical uh, problem. I, personally, because of the way Paul talks about the flesh and, and, and correlates it with sin, he talks about this being a messenger from Satan... I'm of the mindset, and I kind of think that maybe this messenger from Satan was a sin in his life, a besetting sin that he did not want, he did not like, but was in his life. Maybe it even came out of it. I mean, can you think, honestly, if I went to heaven and I saw a bunch of heavenly things and all that happened to me was I was blind afterwards, I could probably still be pretty proud. Like, yeah, it cost me my vision, but I saw heaven. I'm suffering for the Lord. I lost my eyesight. But wouldn't it be humbling if you went to heaven and you saw heaven you heard the things that God spoke and then you came back down to earth and you were made of clay and there was something in your life, a way that you lived, a, a, a sin that you just could not shake and you'd think to yourself, how can I do this when I've been to heaven? I don't know about you, that humbled me. Paul tells us three times concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, that I would not have this problem in my life. Whether it was sin, physical problem, I don't know. The, the idea that it being a sin, that's just a theory. We don't know what he's talking about, this thorn in the flesh, but we do know that he had it, it was to keep him humble, and that he asked God to take it away three times. And then in verse 9, he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Paul says, I don't want to have this in my life, but I do. I've asked God to take it away from me, and what God said is that this is for my good, in essence. My grace is sufficient for you. Your power, my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul says, well, if that's the case, then I'm glad to be weak because then I get to see your power. That doesn't mean that we go out, again, that doesn't mean we go out and let's just you know, sin in all these different ways so we can say, look at God's grace. That's the wrong attitude. But when we have things in our lives, maybe addiction, maybe divorce, maybe remarriage, maybe a sin that, that besets us and causes us to stumble, and we ask the Lord for His help, His healing, for Him to remove this out of our lives. And maybe we think, well, how can I be doing this? I'm a Christian. I've been following the Lord for all these years. Why should I 
Why should I have failed in this area? Well, I'm not saying that we go out and we try, but when it happens in our lives, when we've done it, we're living in a sinful world. Uh, we've had friends that were in bad situations. We had a friend, she, she was in a real bad situation. I'm not going to tell anybody how to live their life. They have to make up a decision. I can tell you, though, when she decided to divorce her husband, I wasn't holding it against her. And when she decided to get remarried, I wasn't holding it against her because I was seeing God's grace in action, saving her from a bad situation. And then restoring the years that the locusts have eaten, giving her joy later on. Now, it's not God's desire. His desire is a man and a woman married together for it, right? That we know the standard, but we also know that we don't meet that standard a lot of times. What happens when we don't meet that standard? It's called grace. And God's grace comes in and He, he heals us. And so if that's your story, if that's your story that there's something going on in your life, even and it's easy to say, well, it was before I became a Christian and now I'm different. It's another thing when it's I'm a Christian and I've taken this action. I'm a Christian and this is my experience in life. It can humble us. It can make us feel like we've lost all ability to speak. But Paul's testimony here is he says, you know, I won't speak about what I heard about in heaven, but I will speak about this. I'll speak about the fact that God has humbled me. I'll speak about the fact that I've had this messenger from Satan, and I'll speak about the fact that his grace is sufficient for me. I will, I will speak about that all day long. I would say that was Gordon McDonald's answer. It wasn't that, oh, it was a great thing. I'm so glad I did it. No, he, his attitude was, if I could do anything, I would undo that. But since I can't, let me tell you about God's grace that has been so wonderful in my life ever since. Whatever we've gone through, you don't have to go through bad things. I, I get to speak about God's grace every day. Sometimes it's things I've done that were wrong, little sins. Sometimes it's just, I don't deserve it, but look what He's done in our midst. Look at how He sustains us. We're still going. Look at how great He is. But if it happens that you've got those things in your life and maybe they bring you shame, maybe they make you feel less than, and you feel bad about it, and you think, you know, I was a Christian, I was following God, and I still did this, or I still made that choice. Can I just say that we can testify, no matter what, that if that's your case, you can still testify to the grace of God in your life that we can testify to God's grace in our lives. And that becomes our testimony. It may not have been the testimony you want, but it becomes a testimony you have. That God is working and active, and even when we have to make decisions in a fallen, sinful world, maybe sometimes we don't make a decision, we just stopped paying attention to what we were doing, and we allowed ourselves to get up and caught up into sin. I was reading a, a magazine. I, I can't remember which one it was, to be honest. We get quite a few. But it was a lady saying that she had developed not a, an emotional or a, a romantic relationship with another man, but she kind of had an emotional relationship with a man and her husband. She liked to share things with him and tell him. And the, the, she said, is this bad? 
You know, this is a Christian woman writing to a Christian magazine, and they said, well, you're headed the wrong direction. Are you saving things and not telling them to your husband so you can tell them to this other man? That's fire. You know, are you, are you looking forward to being around this man, or that's smoke? Are you able to interact with this man in a certain way in the same way you would in front of your husband or your kids? If not, that's a problem. You know, she's a Christian woman, and yet... And she knows the right answer, and yet she's finding herself drawn that direction. It can happen to us. We can know the truth, we can know the right thing to do, and we can get going the wrong way. We can all of us fall into that. And if that happens, it's not the testimony we want. But you know what? When God's grace works in your life and He heals you, and he picks you up and he carries you through it, and you recognize that in your weakness, his grace is strong and his power is strong, then you have the opportunity to share with people not so much about all that was wrong, but all that God did that was right. And so even if we are in that kind of a situation, the basics are the same. We share about what Jesus has done in our lives. We share about our faithfulness. We share about how he has changed our lives. And we share about the grace that he has given us to sustain us, to redeem us, to carry us through. But each one of us has a testimony. Each one of us has the opportunity to be a witness, to share with others what God has done. Whether whether it was a nice milk toast, I became a Christian at six, that's a testimony people will hear. Or if it's the worst, I was so disobedient, even though I knew the right thing, I still did it. There's a testimony in there when God has brought you back and restored you. I want you to wonder, what, what is your testimony? What is your witness You've got one. You've got one that you can point people, show them who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today and we thank You that You have worked in each one of our lives. Lord, that You are active and still working. There are things each one of us does we'd rather not do. We may have made decisions and taken actions that have completely changed our lives and, and we can feel at times as if we are completely out of reach. But Lord, You have saved us. And You are working to redeem us and, and You are working to perfect us. Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds and our focus would be on You. And Lord, as we think about the people around us and how can we share with them the greatness of who Jesus is. Help us, Father, to see the wonderful, great things You've done in our lives. To trust You. As we follow You in faith, we pray, Lord, that we would be willing and able to share those stories. And we don't have to change them. We don't have to make them more exciting. Help us to be faithful to the story that You have worked in our lives. And help us, Father, we pray, to faithfully share the great work You have done. 
We ask and pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.